All right, it is so great to finally be here and see this incredible church. You guys are amazing. I've, I've come to love uh, Brandon, and I've heard so much about uh, this church, and so to have the privilege of, of coming here today, uh, making this journey across three states. I, I don't know how it happened. I left Manchester, New Hampshire, and I drove south an hour and a half this morning, and then I ended up in Rhode Island, and then back in Mass. I'm very, very confused. See, I'm from Texas, and in Texas, it would take two days to cross three states. <laughs> and so this is very different for me, but I, I, love, I love this uh, physical location, um, but, you know, the church isn't a building, and it's not a physical location. It's you. And I'm so excited to be able to look at your faces. I'm so excited, in fact, that uh, I took a drink of water right before I came up, and I spilt <laughs> in, like, the most awkward place ever. <laughs> I'm so excited, it looks like I wet myself. This is a great day. I'm glad it snowed and not many people are here. Uh, hopefully there's a bunch on live stream going, who's this guy? He peed himself. Yep, I did. <laughs> but it is uh, amazing to get to share uh, something that is on my heart. I'm praying for one, something I've been doing now for uh, almost 15 years. And that has changed my life and changed the lives of, of so many others. Um, I have some, some friends since we moved to New Hampshire and uh, it's a Jewish family, and they've become close family friends. They invite us over to celebrate Passover with them and uh, to really do life together. And so we've enjoyed that. And they have a son, my son's age, and he had his bar mitzvah last year. And he had asked my son to speak at his bar mitzvah. Now, I'd only been to like a bar mitzvah, that's the, for the, the female version one time, and it was like an eight-hour service, and it was like death is what it was. it was. Then they threw an incredible party afterwards that almost made up for it. But so I was like, yeah, yeah, he'd love to do that. And I was a little nervous, but they said, oh, we're having it at, at Disney World. I was like, oh, okay. So now I'm thinking, how in the heck am I going to afford Disney World, you know, to go to this bar mitzvah? But we agreed, and I guess we would never miss this out, seeing our, our friends and being a part of what was going on. So uh, we flew down uh, to Orlando, and uh, they had the, the bar mitzvah. It was a three-day affair, food and, you know, getting to know people. And there was only, like, one other Christian couple that was their family that we knew and were, were close to. And so we're hanging out. But we're just, we're just throwing ourselves into it. And it's so funny. People are, are curious about the Christians. You know, they're, they're really curious about the Christians because they only know what they've, like, seen on the TV. And so they're, curious, so they're asking all kinds of questions. And I just kept telling them, I'm like, no, you don't understand. Jesus is just my ticket in. Like, to be you guys. I, this, is how, this is how I get to be Jewish. That's all I'm trying to do. And, it, you know, it kept breaking down defenses. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, Jesus was Jewish, and this is our way into the family of God. And, you know, so I, I'm just having a blast. And, and so we're hanging out with these people, and we're having a lot of fun. And for the bar mitzvah itself, it was in Epcot, in a private room in Epcot. And in order to get there, we, we went from the hotel. We took uh, charter buses. And every, everybody was instructed to wear white. So you had to wear all white head to toe for this bar mitzvah. And so everybody's wearing white. We line up. Uh, the buses are, arrive kind of late, but we're just all hanging out, getting to know each other. Everybody's laughing, having a great time. We get in the buses. We drive in through a back gate of Epcot, and it starts to rain. One of those freak Orlando rain showers that happens every single day at the same time that nobody's prepared for. And <laughs> it starts raining, and we pull in the back of Epcot, and we unload the buses, but none of us are prepared. We don't have ponchos or umbrellas or anything, and we're all wearing white. So now we're like in a single file line 
uh, being led through Epcot to a private room. There's a hundred of us, all wearing white, nothing but white, in a downpour, kind of walking fast, almost running through Epcot. And the crowd just splits. <laughs> and they line the street because they think it's like a show. And so they're all, you know, huddled under their ponchos and they've got a front row seat to the show and they're just all staring and everybody's looking over and, and this makes me kind of laugh. And so people are trying to figure out what's going on. So I just started chanting, the end is near. <laughs> the end is near. And it really made my day. But it got me thinking, the end is near. What do you think about that? I mean, you see you know, a group of people wearing all white running through the rain at Epcot, and some lunatic shouting, the end is near. That might freak you out a little bit, or maybe it wouldn't. But how about this? How about I, I tell you the truth? The end is near. It really is. And I'm not it's just a crazy guy on a street corner holding a bullhorn or a, or a big sign. But the reality is the end is near. One of two things will happen in your lifetime. Either Jesus will come back or you will die. Either way, guess what? The end is near. It is. And time is short. Now, that whole death thing, I know you're going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that'll never happen to me. <laughs> Want to bet? I mean, the death rate hovers right at 100% for humans. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. It hasn't changed much over the years. We will all die. Now, the thing is, we know that, but we don't like to, to deal with the reality of our own deaths. But Jesus is either going to come back or, or you will pass away. One of those things is going to happen. And life is fleeting and it's short, and we know that. But if we really understand it, then what we have is an opportunity. And it's this opportunity called today. An opportunity to do something today that will last for all of eternity. And that's what praying for one is really all about, is about making the most of today with what God has entrusted to us. God has entrusted us with life. Now, first of all, the, the first gift you have is the gift of life. Like you have air in your lungs, you have a body uh, that you can utilize, um, although it's decaying and it will pass away and it'll be no more, but uh, we're stewards of that. You guys familiar with that stewardship word? Usually when you hear it in church, this is the point where everybody goes, oh no, he's going to talk about money, I'm leaving, bye. I'm not talking about money. There's a far greater stewardship issue than money. The stewardship issue is life. This is what we're entrusted with, life. And what are you doing with it? What's happening with it? Is it, is it the daily grind? Is it the going through the motions? Is it, is it confusion over what I'm here for and what this is all about? Is it just waiting around to die? See, so many Christians have kind of bought into this mentality that we're just here to kind of muddle through and then it gets really good when we go to heaven. But what if it could be really good right now? Jesus said that he came to have life, he came to give us life and give it how? Abundantly, to the full, to the max. I mean, the author of life, the creator of life, the one who invented life, who spoke it all into existence. He says, I, I didn't come to give you death, I came to give you what? Life. An amazing life, a life with purpose and passion and meaning, a life that makes a difference, a, a life that is building into something. That's what Jesus came to give us. And it's really pretty simple. And praying for one is, is a way of engaging prayerfully into this life, and it's about stewardship. So pastors a lot of times talk about stewardship, and they talk about, okay, we need to be good stewards of the money that the that the people give in the church. And we need to be good stewards of our building and our programs and our, and our leaders. And yes, yes, and yes. 
But really the church, as we've already discovered, is not buildings and programs and money. The church is what? People. You are the church. And so to be stewards of the church, any, any leader ought to be looking to release the church. Not to control the church, not to hold the church back, not to restrain the church, but release the church to be the church. And what does that mean? Well, that means that, that we're released to be about what Jesus was about. Now, what is Jesus about? Jesus' mission is to save the world. Well, that's a cool mission. Sounds kind of grandiose there. Save the world. Well, he's capable, and this is what he came for, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus would come and die for us. He would come and take our sin upon him, uh, himself on the cross and put it to death in his body. And he came that we may have life. And now we're participants in this mission. You see, the message of Jesus is so much greater than, than we're just recipients of his grace. He invites us to be participants. And he entrusts his mission to us to save the world. Now, what is the world? I mean, you can get kind of caught up in that and go, well, I mean, the world's a big place. And you got, oh, hold on. Think of the world this way. The world is your home. The world is your home, the place where you live. This is your world. And the people you share a house with, if you're fortunate enough to get to do that, this is your world. Your neighbors, this is your world. Your classmates and coworkers, this is your world. The community that you, you, you navigate in, this is your world. Jesus wants to save your world. And he has strategically placed you there to be a part of it. And praying for one is a way of daily engaging in that. It's really very simple. To pray for one simply means to go uh, and pray and ask God some, to do this. God, please give me one person to share your love with. Did everybody catch that? God, please give me one person to share your love with. I'll say it one more time. God, please give me one person to share your love with. Now, what do you think God would do if you prayed and you asked, hey God, today you know what I really want more than anything else? I mean, maybe you've unloaded on him already. Because most of the time when we pray, are we, just think about what we're really doing. Most of the time when people pray, it's like, okay, God, listen, here's the deal. You can be Lord of my life, but as such, I have a few things I'm going to need you to take care of. All right, so here it is. I need you to provide this, fix this problem, um, go ahead and make some provision here. Um, I need you to clear the road over here. I'm going to need you to take care of these four things, change these eight people who are driving me nuts, and I'm going to need you to hop to it, Skippy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> I, I would just propose to you that's, that's not prayer. It's something, but it's really not prayer. Prayer is not about trying to convince God to do our will. Prayer is about aligning our hearts to God's will. But here's what people do. Here's what, and we're so notorious for this in the church. I don't know what the Lord's will is. Nonsense. That is the biggest bunch of hooey. Is hooey a word I can say? I don't know. I don't know the appropriate church curse words. Hooey. What a bunch of hooey. Non, I don't know what the Lord's will is. What do you mean you don't know what the Lord's will is? The Lord's will is that none would perish. And we're like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean by none? I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, surely not me and my family, but I mean, there are those people over there. Who are, who are those people over there? Well, you know, those really bad people. You know, because, I mean, I, mean I, I know I've messed up, but I'm not that bad. What are you talking about? We, 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 we kind of do this nonsense in our heads where it's like us and them. Let me just, let me just tell you something. It's just people. This is one of the most liberating things. If like one of you gets this right now, it will be so amazing. 
It's like one of the most liberating things in the world to recognize, oh, there's just people. People who are broken and hurting and people who are struggling and people who are confused and people who are lonely, just like you, just like me. Just people. And when we pray, you know what, God, I really want to do what you want to do. God, please give me one person to share your love with. That's a game changer. Because now we are taking a step of faith. I mean, here's the cool thing. If you really want to be about, about the mission of Jesus, that's about taking ground for the kingdom. It's not about, you know, you know setting up shop. You know, all right, here's our place. I mean, that, that, like, when you had the transfiguration, that's what the, the disciples want to do. They're like, hey, let's build tents. Let's stay here. He's like, no, we've got to go down from the mountain. We've got work to do. What are you talking about? We're not going to stay here. I mean, when the church starts in Jerusalem, you know, they wanted to stay there. And then persecution happens, and they're like, how dare you, God? We were doing your thing, but now the, the church is dispersed and scattered. Well, we just want to stay. But God's always saying, go. Go and make disciples. Go and share my love. Go and, and reach people and touch people. Go. And, and yet churches and pastors and, and Christians, we keep trying to say, no, no, let's all stay. And God keeps saying, go. And when you pray for one, what you're saying is, hey, God, here I am. Send me. God, please give me one person to share your love with. And then, then, then you're stuck with this question, well, where do I go? Well, it doesn't matter. Wherever you go, there's people. Just go. And go with this mission to share God's love. God, please give me one person to share your love with. Now, praying for one is not a slogan. It's not a mantra. It's not a church growth strategy. You ready for this? It's a prayer. So guess what you do with it? You pray it. Okay, God, please give me one person to share your love with. What if maybe we prayed that right now? Would you like to try it? Could we do it out loud? Is that allowed? Can we all pray the same thing together out loud in a worship service? God, please give me one person to share your love with. Let's try it out loud. You ready? God, please give me one person to share your love with. Ooh, look out. If I knew the name of your town, I would say it. How do you say it? Rehoboth. See, that's the thing. I would have never gotten that. Rehoboth, Rehoboth, right? Look out, Rehoboth. And I guess we're close to Rhode Island. Look out, Rhode Island. Look out. There's people who are praying, God, please give me one person to share your love with. What do you think God's going to do? You think he might put somebody in your path today to share his love? Of course. You're asking him to do the very thing he wants to do. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says this. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. I love this scripture. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's like, hey, guys, listen. Okay, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Well, now what makes this a new command, by the way? The whole love command, that's an old command. It's in the Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When Jesus was asked what is the greatest commandment, he referred to that. Because it's the old one. Love, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he said, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. They go hand in hand. All the law and the prophets are summed up in this. But now Jesus is saying, you know, right before his death, he's saying, hey, guys, a new command I give you. 
Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's a new command. What makes it new? Well, he says, love one another as I have loved you. Well, this is different. Jesus lays down his life for his friends. Jesus gives himself up as an extravagant sacrifice. Jesus is going to go to the cross. Jesus is going to go all the way. His love knows no limits. It knows no bounds. It's not temporary. It's not fleeting. It's not conditional. It's offered and extended to everyone. And he says, hey guys, I'm going to give you a new command. I want you to love like that. Not the way you used to, not, not based on your own effort, not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not just by trying harder. He says, no, I, I want you to love like I do. A limitless love, an unconditional love, a sacrificial love. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he throws this one down, so you must. Now, at this point, some of you who like really love Jesus and maybe have been doing this church thing for a while are like, I guess he's right. I got to love those people. You don't understand. You get to love people. See, there's like this movement of thought going on in churches right now. We're kind of starting to wake up and we're kind of going, wait a minute, what have we been doing? Where people are going, well, you know, I guess, I guess we do have to love those people, those, those people who sin differently than we do. You know, the ones we've cast off and said, ooh, they're the dirty ones. They're gross, they're nasty, them people. And now, now people in churches are kind of going, well, that, that seems a little weird and a little off. You know, I guess, I guess we do have to love them. But they don't know how. Yeah, you do. And, and even beyond that, you, you don't understand. That must there, it, it, it's, a, it's not understanding God's commands. God's commands are not against you. His commands are what? For you. They're for you. Two mans are not against you. Here is a blessing, so you must love one another. And the must there means that you're compelled. In other words, you can't, if his love is in you, you can't hold it in. It's this perfect, limitless, unending love that comes rushing into you. I mean, it says in the scriptures that God lavishes his love. Isn't that a cool word? You just want to say it, don't you? Try it. Say it. Lavishes. Isn't that a great word? He lavishes his love. So why are Christians so cheap with love? What's the problem? We treat it like it's in short supply, like there's not enough of it to go around, like we gotta withhold it and prove a point. It's wrong. He lavishes us with his love. It comes pouring into us. So when you pray for one, God, please give me one person to share your love with. Well, guess what? You can't share what you don't have. So in that prayer, you're now connecting to God in a whole new way. And that means to worship, to exalt him. And his love comes rushing in so that it can go flowing out. Now guys, this is simple. It is so simple, but it's freedom. You are being sent. You are being released. God is pouring his love into us so it will move through us. But we have baggage. We got baggage. Things that we keep holding on to. It's religious baggage. And here's the thing. Religion complicates, but a relationship simplifies. When you're looking at pure religion, religion's all about the rules, the do's and don'ts, who's in, who's out, who's doing it the best, who should be in the leadership, who should not. Right? How do we measure up? What's the score? 
Religion's always looking to keep score. But a relationship changes everything. It simplifies it. You see, a religion is based on law. So if you go back to the Old Testament, now you, you have a religion. 613 Old Testament laws plus all of the interpretation. So I always think the Pharisees get a little bit of a bad rap. When's the last time you heard somebody stand up for the Pharisees? I think they had a tough job. Can you, can you imagine trying to take 613 Old Testament commands and then interpret them into the current condition of that cultural context, apply them, and say this is what it means and this is how you know whether or not you're keeping this command. That's a tough job. It's a really hard job. But Jesus comes in and he says, no, I'm going to make this simple. A relationship simplifies it. Jesus comes in with love and he says, hey, I'm going I'm to break it down for you. You have 613 commands? Well, I'm just going to give you one. Love the Lord your God. Oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. It sounds like two, but it's really one. You can't have one without the other. If you love the Lord your God, you will love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. They're summed up in this. So, so here's your guiding principle. It's love, and it comes through a relationship with me. A new command I give you is I have uh, loved you, so you must love one another. We're not doing anything that, that hasn't already been done for us. But now God's love is moving through us. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus uh, is speaking here. And in verse 4, it says, he's, he's referring to the Pharisees and teachers of the law. He says, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you're all brothers, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying now, there was a, a quite a bit there, but uh, the overarching premise is that Jesus now is dealing with a religious system, and he goes, hey, guys, listen, you, you keep taking these cumbersome loads and these heavy burdens, and, and you keep putting them on people's shoulders, but you're not, you yourselves are not willing to do anything to help. It's this religious system. It's complicated. It's, it's tough to understand. Plus, it's all about achievement. It's merit-based. Who's doing the best? Well, they're in charge, and they're in control, and they have the power and you know what? We relate to those sorts of things. It's a system that you can kind of figure out how to navigate. Who's in, who's out, right, who's doing the best? And religion makes it very complicated. I mean, Jesus even says here, okay, listen, they love to make their phylacteries wide. I mean, you guys know what that means, right? What, you're not familiar with phylacteries? Okay, so check this out. A phylactery, a phylactery. I'm gonna blow you away with my biblical knowledge, because I'm a scholar. Actually, I have Google. <laughs> and I used it to look up phylactery. It's a, it's a box that you, they would put Hebrews, or still do, put Hebrew scriptures in, and then they tie them on their heads. So, I mean, the way that I interpret this is like being from the South, this would be like, you know, the church ladies wearing the biggest hats, trying to put on their Sunday best. They like to make their phylacteries wide. Look at, 
Look at the size of my phylactery box. I'm a big deal. I got a lot of scripture in my phylactery box. Now, some of you are like, that's a deep man. I learned something today. <laughs> Guys, that's not deep. That's a little piece of Bible trivia for you. And times have changed. Here's what's great. When I said phylacteries, you didn't have to sit there being ignorant. Five years ago, I might have said, you know, you could just go home and look it up. You don't need to go home and look it up. Oh, phylacteries, images, I see. That's what a phylactery is. You have access to knowledge and information. What an incredible world that we live in. There's no excuse for being ignorant. We don't have to be. So that changes the, the nature of, of how, how we think. That Bible trivia is not deep. Telling you what a phylactery is is not deep. You have access to that. It, back in the day, like maybe you just had your professionally trained clergy who went to a seminary and they had access to the information or they had the only books that told you what a phylactery was and so they could tell that to you and you'd be like, oh, he's brilliant. They'll follow you anywhere, pastor, as long as it's here. <laughs> Times have changed, and I'm so glad God is taking his church and he's saying, no, no, let's, let's go deep. Let's go deep. But the depth that God has for us is this relational depth with him that transforms and changes us. It's his love moving into us and flowing out of us. It's, it's a whole new deal. And instead of slamming the door to people, that's what that religion, anytime we, we drift back into religion and we abandon the relationship with Jesus, it slams the door in people's faces. Maybe some of you guys understand this. Have you ever gone to a Bible study and you didn't bring a Bible? And people look at you like, oh, you poor moron. It says Bible in the name. And then they're like, hey, let's, let's turn to Second Hesitations chapter 3. You're like, I don't, I don't know where that is. And I mean, listen, there's a table of contents at the front of the book that lists the page numbers. And you're like, well, that's cheating. Or, oh, that person has tabs. They're going to hell. You can't win the Bible race game using tabs. That's cheating. Think about that. What is this? How, how have we perverted Jesus where we have Bible race games to see who's like, oh, that person's really mature. Oh, I found it first. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. No, no. Love of Jesus is deep. Love of people is deep. To be welcoming and to be an ambassador. That's what we're called. We're his ambassadors. Think about what kind of ambassadors we are. We throw and open the door. I mean, we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so what that means is we get to storm the gates of hell to set the captives free. But we got to go. Or even better, we get to go. Go and storm the gates of hell. I got the keys. Come this way. I'll show you. But religion slams the door in people's faces. And it's tough when you're new in a new environment. It's tough. I moved from Texas to New Hampshire which, by the way, when we first heard about Manchester, New Hampshire, um, I was a part of an amazing church in Texas, and my wife and I were kind of open maybe to move to the West Coast. 
And somebody told me about this church in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I said, where? And they go, it's north of Boston? I was like, there's something north of Boston? I had no idea. And we moved to New Hampshire, and everything's different. It's just, it's bizarre. I don't understand any of it. There's like Patriot fans and stuff. It's weirdness. And I had to register my car. And because the, inspe- the registration had expired, and apparently they, they frown on that sort of thing. And I got one of those you know, nice pieces of paper from an officer um, where I got to pay a fine. It was really nice. And so I was trying to figure out, okay, I got to register my car. So I was like, where do I go? And they go, well, you go to the town office. I'm like, oh, there's, okay. So I go to my town office. And I said, I need to register my, my car. And they go, okay, let me see your registration. I said, oh, I don't have registration. That's why I'm here. And they go, no, we need to see your, your old registration. So well, I moved from Texas, so I don't have registration. And they said, well, show me your Texas registration. And I go, oh, okay. And so I go out to my car, and I peeled off the sticker <laughs> on the window, and I took it back in, and I go, here you go. She goes, no, that's not your registration. I go, yeah, it is. It's what they give you. She goes, no, we need to see the paper. I'm like, there's no paper. I'm like, yeah, you're, you know, when a police officer pulls you over and says, license and registration, I'm like, I've seen that in movies, and I just experienced it <laughs> in this fair town of ours. However, that's not how it works in Texas. See, there's a barcode on that sticker, and they just scan it, and it pops up in their computer. There's no, there's no paper. Yes, there is. I go, no. <laughs> no, there's not. He goes, there has to be a paper. I go, there's no paper. It's a sticker, a barcode. It's modern technology. Uh, I have an app on my phone that'll do it. Let me show you. And she goes, and that's not how it works. I'm like, okay, well, that's how it works in Texas, and I need to register my car. She goes, well, I need your old registration. I'm like, I don't, I don't have it. She says, we're going to need to get that from the state of Texas. And I said, oh, um, okay, well, uh, do you have a phone number that I could call? She goes, no. So I'm like on my phone, I'm Googling, I'm like, hold on. I call it, and this lady answers the phone, and I said, um, excuse me, I, I moved to New Hampshire, and I'm trying to register my car, and they tell me I have to have my Texas registration, but all I have is my sticker. And she goes, oh, okay. And I said, they need a piece of paper. And she goes, well, honey, I bet I can find that for you. I said, are you serious? She goes, well, sure, honey, you called Texas. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> and she goes, hold on. She goes, I've got it right here. Would you like me to fax it to him? I said, yes, I would. And I looked at the lady in New Hampshire, and I go, um, Texas would like to speak to you. <laughs> and she gave her the fax number. She faxed it right over, and I get back on. I was like, thank you so much. And she goes, my pleasure. She goes, let me ask you one question. I said, what? She goes, why would you leave Texas? <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I realized that when, when we do this in, in churches, and we become so religious and comparing as opposed to being loving and inviting people into a relationship with Jesus, it's like we're slamming the door to the kingdom of heaven. And I, I'm looking at you guys. You don't, you don't want to slam the door in anyone's face. We want to throw open the doors of the kingdom and we want to run and get as many people as we can because the end is near. We want to reach the most people in the shortest time. Now, when it comes to this whole complexity issue, I will tell you, complex looks deep, but is usually shallow. 
And simple looks shallow, but allows for depth. Well, there's quite a bit in that simple statement, but just to unpack it briefly for you, you know, that whole phylacteries thing, I mean, that could appear, you know, you know on, the, on the surface to be deep, but it's actually pretty shallow. Just a piece of information that you have access to. And simple sometimes appears shallow, but simple really allows for maximum depth that allows us to really drill down. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus' burden is light. Think about that for a moment. His burden is light. Do you know what else Jesus said? He said, you are the light of the world. His burden is light. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So here's his burden. His burden is for us to just be light. What does light do? Not a trick question. What does light do? It shines. That's what light does. It's light's job. Light has a job and it's what? Shine. Do you hide it under a bushel? No. Do you hide it under a bowl? No. I'm going to let it shine. Do we hide it behind religion? No. Do we hide it behind the doors of a building? No. What do we do? Let it shine. Let it shine. So what would happen if you prayed for one? Well, you already did, so look out. What if you prayed, God, please give me one person to share your love with? What do you think he's going to do? Is he going to give you one? I know he will. I know he will. And so uh, we have this great thing called Easter coming up. It's the day we celebrate the resurrection. It's also a time where people are very open uh, to come to church or to to experience a worship service. And God has revealed through the worship of his people. So this is a big deal. It's a big opportunity for your friends and family members and neighbors and coworkers, the people in your community, to experience God's love and respond to him. That's what's going to happen on Easter and your Easter celebrations. So on your chairs, you, you have an Easter invite card. And I want to draw your attention to that because I want you to take that. Brandon has asked that, that you guys take these and you don't leave them in your car. They don't drop them in the trash. They don't leave them on the kitchen counter. Any guesses as what you're supposed to do with these? Give it to somebody. Every one of these cards represents a one. Someone that, that God dearly loves and someone that he's going to strategically place in your path to invite. Now, this is cool. Easter is on April 1st. No fooling. <laughs> do you know what the date April 1st is? Four. One. Whoa, I know. And everybody, all the numerologists in the room just went, that's deep. <laughs> Four, one. So in the 40-something days we have leading up to Easter, will you pray for one? Watch what God does. Pray for one every day. God, please give me one person to share your love with and then look for those opportunities. One more time, can we do it out loud together? Let's try. You ready? God, please give me one person to share your love with. Now, if it'd be okay, I'd love to pray a blessing over you as you kind of take a deep breath and maybe right where you are, just take a moment. And as you ask God to give you one, see if he puts a name 
on your mind, a face for you to see. Be still and quiet and just pray and ask that, and then I want to pray a blessing over you.